As mentioned, the text this afternoon is 1 Peter 5, verses 10 and 11, and we'll read those verses once more. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. After the sermon, we will sing in response to the gospel of salvation with hymn 84. Hymn 84 after the sermon. Brothers and sisters of, in our Lord Jesus Christ, a couple of weeks ago we had a very special day in our own congregation in, in Providence here in Edmonton. We had seven young baptized members of our church stand up before the rest of the congregation and profess their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They had heard the powerful and wonderful word of truth for many years. The truth that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, and they responded to this truth by saying, yes, I believe wholeheartedly that I am one of those sinners that Christ came to save and to renew. And over the years, many of us, many people have stood up in front of the congregation and made that same solemn declaration, made this vow before God and His church, and after doing this, we receive this benediction, the one that is our text for this afternoon, and we also find this at the very close of the form for the public profession of faith. After the professor of the faith gives this answer, I do, to these questions after they make their vows, then we hear these words, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And some of us might wonder why these particular verses were chosen for this occasion. What in the world does that mean? After you have suffered a little while. And I remember the first few times that I remember hearing this charge or this benediction, wondering what these young people who had just professed their faith, what they were about to go through. I wondered whether something really weird happens to you after you profess your faith. I wondered whether you were suddenly overcome with some mysterious sadness or heaviness 
some sort of melancholy in your soul after professing your faith in Jesus Christ. I wondered how long such a thing might last. Does it last? Is that just for today? Is it just until lunchtime? Or perhaps for a week or more? Well, what we'll see today is that this suffering, after you have suffered a little while, this suffering isn't some mystical, mysterious, emotional heaviness that accompanies a profession of faith. This suffering is something that becomes a real part of life for those who are in Christ. This is something that Jesus Christ guaranteed to his disciples. This is something that Jesus Christ guarantees to everyone who is a disciple of Christ. He guarantees this to all of you because you are all disciples of Christ. The truth about being his disciple is that we will suffer in a lot of different ways. We'll have our wills and desires broken. Some of us will have our relationships strained. We'll all have to embrace different kinds of discomfort and unpleasantness. We'll have our pride sometimes painfully stripped away and replaced with humility. And in certain times and in certain places, the people of God undergo severe forms of persecution. This happens today, not in front of our own eyes, but it happens in many places in the world, in China, in the Middle East, and other places where Christians have to practice their faith in hiding and in stealth because they can be imprisoned or they can be executed. This is a reality. And this is what Jesus said during his ministry. In John 15, 18 and 19, he comforted his followers by saying, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Matthew, Matthew 10, verse 22, all men will hate you because of me. This is the Christian experience. This ought to be the Christian experience. This is something that as one who professes Jesus Christ, we must expect, we must be ready for. But the Holy Spirit of God, through the pen of the Apostle Peter, he is reassuring us today. You are assured by the very word of God that although you will indeed suffer a little while, our God who is rich in grace, the God of all grace, he will restore you. He will make you strong and firm and steadfast. And we don't have to be afraid of, of anything because this God who is promising these things, he is powerful without limit. And so today, know the word of God. Know what he teaches and promises and take great comfort. Be excited about this. Be encouraged and suffer a little while. And we'll see three aspects of this. Number one, our God of grace 
has called you. Number two, our God of grace will restore you. And number three, our God of grace is our all-powerful. And so, first place, we are instructed to suffer a little while, or we are informed that we will suffer a little while because our God of grace has called us. So the calling of God, this is how Peter actually begins his letter. And we have to understand who he's writing this letter to. It's possible that many of the recipients of this letter are some of the Jews who were forced to leave Jerusalem because of the great persecution that was there in in Acts chapter 8, we can read about this. The church in Jerusalem was growing and growing exponentially. And then after the stoning of Stephen, there was this great persecution that broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And the result of that was that the believers were scattered all over the place and they were spreading the gospel, they were preaching the gospel and causing even further growth in the regions, uh, in the regions surrounding uh, Jerusalem. And including the regions that are mentioned at the beginning of this letter. So they were the dispersion, the scattered ones. But there's a lot in this letter that also would lead us to believe that Peter is also addressing Gentile converts. These are very new Christians, very new Christians. Christians that are about to have a very difficult time living out their new faith, their new way of life among the people that they live among presently. Think about this. If you are a new Christian, if you've just come to faith and you have a family that you are very intimately connected with in all areas of your life, well then suddenly you're going to be grinding up against your family, chafing against your family with almost every important occasion, every important thing in your family's life. Like there's, there's going to be a wedding in the family. One of your siblings is going to be married, and, and guess what? This marriage is going to take place at the, at the temple of the god Pan, or something like that, and you're expected to be there and offer sacrifices and participate in these feasts at this idol's temple, and now you're convicted that you can't. You can't do this. You can't participate in this. And your family thinks you're nuts. You know, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you supporting your family? Don't you love your, your family? Don't you love your brother? And it goes even further than that. You're getting accused of of not caring about your city. Do you want our city to get destroyed? You're not appealing to the gods who protect our city. You're not appeasing them with sacrifices. You're trying to get us all killed. What's the matter with you? This new religion that you have is dangerous. It's dangerous for you. It's dangerous for all of us. You're being reckless. These... New Christians were being prepared by Peter through this letter and encouraged to face family trouble, social trouble, to face trouble even to the point of death. 
But Peter says, God has called you. And this is how Peter starts this letter, by reminding them of this incredibly comforting fact. God chose you for this. First Peter 1, this is how he addresses this is how he addresses these believers. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Elect. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of theological baggage that comes along with, with that word elect, uh, especially because of the wrestling that we've had to do with that term throughout our church's history. But here, the, the, the word behind this would simply mean chosen. If you, if you elect uh, a representative uh, politically, then, then quite simply that just means you have chosen this one. So these have been chosen by God. God has chosen you and therefore called you. Chosen according to his foreknowledge. You aren't where you are now because of some random chain reaction of events. The fact that God chose you and chose you from eternity shows that God is at work in a very powerful and infinitely wise way. There's something happening in your life. Peter's reassuring these people. There's something happening in your life right now that's new, that's, that's exciting, that is liberating. You are walking in darkness. You are worshiping these other gods. And now you, you belong to, this, to the way, the true way, Jesus, the way of Jesus Christ. You're living a life in Jesus Christ, and at the same time, this is a little bit scary. It's dangerous, but, but guess what? Your life has been in the mind and in the plan of God since eternity, and that means that there's no surprise coming that's going to derail you in all of this because God chose you and he called you to this. Verse 10 of our text, the God of all grace who called you not only to this present circumstance, but who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. So he's holding out this, this sure hope. This is where you are heading. This first epistle of Peter is often called the letter of hope. The letter of hope because of this inheritance that Peter is holding out for these people who in the present time are about to go through some pretty difficult stuff. But he's saying, keep your eyes fixed on what's coming and, and be assured that, that what, you are, what you're dealing with now, what's coming upon you now, is not going, to, not going to pluck you out of your inheritance. Your life in Christ is part of this unbreakable chain of God's purposes in Christ, beginning way back before the creation of the world, God chose you for this. He ensured that you were either born into this covenant family and received all of this teaching since you were an infant, or, or for some reason he saw to it that, that you heard his word, that you had a friend that told you about Christianity, and he, 
He gave you this curiosity to learn more, and now you believe you have, he has steered your life and he's steered your heart so that now you're ready to profess your faith in Jesus Christ. It's all orchestrated by our perfect God. This is how Peter begins it. The chosen, the chosen of God from eternity, but exiles in the world. Exiles in the world. As the people of God, we, we live in this world. We make our temporary home in this world, but we're supposed to feel like exiles. And that's because our true citizenship is in heaven. It's not anchored in anything in, in this life. Peter's teaching that we should never really feel at home in the world because this world is, by its nature, it's against God. This world is unholy, and we're called to be holy. Verse 16, it is written, be holy because I am holy. We're called to be holy people in an unholy world, holy people among unholy people. And, and if this is the case, if this is the case, then this sort of life should be uncomfortable. It was going to be really uncomfortable for those who received Peter's letter, and it's supposed to be uncomfortable for us too. It's supposed to bring some kind of suffering. And the thing is, it's possible, it's possible for us to finagle this in such a way that, that we might be able to avoid a lot of the suffering that would otherwise come upon us. If we try to make it so that maybe we don't appear to be quite so different from broader culture, if, let's say, you're a young person heading off to university, it's entirely possible that you could get through your entire university tenure without feeling too much discomfort. It would be entirely possible for you to keep as quiet as a mouse, not really challenge anything that is presented to you, You could be sympathetic and accepting to every progressive idea that is propagated at our universities and skate through without, without too much of a scratch, except maybe some guilt in your heart, knowing that maybe you, know, you should have spoken up here or there. But Peter's teaching that if you are in Christ then you will suffer. You're going to suffer in, in different ways. There's different forms of persecution, but it will happen. But even though this is the case, this is the guarantee, don't be anxious. Don't worry, because God called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And after some suffering, you have an inheritance that can never perish or spoil, or fade. And this is kept in heaven for you. That's chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. So now, 
we should think about the, the nature and the purpose of this suffering. Why do we have to suffer? Well, the suffering finds its purpose in, in God's marvelous work of restoration. And that's our second point. Our God of grace will restore you. There's something that we really should understand here and be clear about because without this truth, then, then the, the idea, the concept of Christian suffering would seem to be sort of pointless. Peter isn't saying, okay, people of God, you belong to God now, and Right now, you're in, a, in pretty good condition. Let's say, spiritually speaking, you're at like 6 out of 10. You know, you're doing okay. And you're going to suffer a little bit, and this is, this is going to do you some, some harm. You're, you're going to face a lot of difficulty, but then God's going to restore you and put you back where you are at, at you know, level 6 out of 10. That would seem, you know, rather pointless. God's going to crack you and break you down a little bit and just put you right back, you know, where you were. So what exactly is the point of this suffering? What's happening with this suffering that God is pleased to make us endure? Well, maybe a little illustration is helpful here. For, for those of you who know a little bit about me, you might know that woodworking is one of my hobbies and and since this is a great interest, I've been following with a lot of interest this massive project uh, that's going on right now. And it's this 20-something-year-old young boat builder, and he's got this sailing yacht named the Tally Ho. And this is something that you can check out on YouTube if you like, but, but this... Boat was built in 1910, the year 1910. It's 110 years old. And this boat has had a very harsh existence. It's gone through various owners. It served various uses. It was even shipwrecked once. It was really close to being destroyed. Someone tried to fix it up at one point, but then it fell into neglect and, and was in was really close to just being totally scrapped, but this young man now is giving it a full and complete restoration, and, and this is just fascinating, the way, the way this project is going. One of the most fascinating things about this project is that because of the life that this boat has had, so full of hardship, it has been buffeted by, with, with so much abuse, calamity, difficulty, all of, these, all of these pressures have exposed all of the weaknesses that were in this vessel. All of the ways that it was imperfect have become very visible, have become very easy to see because of the stress that this boat was put under. All of the inferior materials that it was built with have been proven to be inferior. And if the reality is if this boat had a very cushy life, 
for the past 110 years, if it was protected from any kind of, any kind of abuse or danger or, or, or weathering or anything, well, then all those weak spots would probably be still kind of a secret. They wouldn't have been exposed for the weak spots that they are. Well, now this young man is rebuilding this boat as he's restoring it. He's noting all of these weaknesses, all of these problems. And while he's restoring it to original specifications and honoring the original design, he's also improving these areas of brokenness and weakness. And he's doing this in such a way that the finished and restored vessel is by all accounts vastly superior to how it was before. And now we think of this principle of hardship and suffering, and we look back at what Peter has said in the first chapter about the purpose of this suffering. Let's have a look. Verses, or, uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Well, let's begin uh, a, a little bit earlier. No, chapter, uh, verse 6. In this you rejoice... So in this salvation that you have, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, and now here comes the the explanation, this is the reason for these trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, the genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These sufferings are for the proving and perfecting of your faith so that, so that Jesus Christ, in the revelation of his glory, is praised and glorified. He uses this metaphor with gold, right? When gold is proved, when it's proved, that's an industry word, that's an industry vocabulary word, it's put to fire, it's put to fire, and the things that are within that gold, the impurities, the weaknesses, all of the blemishes, they are pressed out of it. The gold is purified, and it's made better, and it's the same with our faith. This precious faith that we must have. This faith is for our salvation. And the suffering exposes the weaknesses and the cracks in our foundations. It shows where we are leaky. It shows where we were cutting corners. Because when we are really tested, when we're really tested by hardship and sadness and brokenness, If we rely on anything other than Jesus Christ, when we rely on perishable things, then we see immediately that these will not stand up to it. And whatever we're leaning on will fail. Those things will fail. But God is gracious. The God of all grace himself will restore you. He will make you strong and firm and steadfast. He will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
that last word, establish you, it actually means to, 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 to rebuild foundations, the, the fundamentals, the things upon which, the, the very foundational things that your life is built on, God will rebuild those. The most important fundamental building blocks upon which to build your entire life, after you have suffered a little while, God will build those. And it will be a foundation that will last forever because he will build you upon his son, Jesus Christ. We have too much pride in our hearts, you know? And we're unaware at times of the fact that we have one foot standing on, on something that is not Jesus Christ. We profess our faith in Jesus Christ and we want to serve and we want to, we want to believe in him and trust in him wholeheartedly, 100%, but sometimes we don't even realize it, but... We're relying on, on something else. We try to get joy or fulfillment or satisfaction from some counterfeit. And it's, it's when the worst things in our lives you know, happens, you know, when, when, when we have the wor- very worst day of our lives. When, when you have to bury one of your children. Or when you receive... Confirmation from the doctor that yes, it's cancer again. You've been through this before and guess what? You're going to have to go through it again. When you've been ripping out your hair because one of your children or several of your children want nothing to do with God. They're straying from Him and you've tried and there's nothing left to do. You're powerless Suffering drives us to depend on our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the perfecter of our faith. When we know the truth about this, when we know that this is what our suffering is for, we can prepare for it, right? We can receive it boldly and without fear, with full trust in God because of who our God is. Our God is all-powerful, and that's our third point. This is how Peter concludes this before, before extending his final greetings. This is the last word of comfort. People of God, you're going to suffer, but God has called you from eternity. He's called you to this life, this existence. He's chosen you. You're going to suffer, but guess what? That's going to be a good thing. Ultimately, because God will restore you, he'll improve you, he'll rebuild you completely through these sufferings, beginning at your foundations, you're going to be strong and pure, and how can you be sure that all of that is true? God's promising these things, how do we know it's true? How can we rely on it? Well, because all power, his you know, dominion forever and ever is his. There's no verb in that last clause there in the Greek, to him be the dominion forever and ever. So literally it would be to him or his 
dominion forever and ever. But this is how we should read it. May all power be his, or let all dominion be to him. But that's not, it's not stated as a wish. It's not stated as a hopeful wish. It's more, let it be done, and it will be done. God alone claims all power, and with this, with this statement, to him be the dominion forever and ever, we profess our agreement of this, our approval of this fact, of this truth. You are going to suffer And God has promised that he'll do all of these beautiful and magnificent things in you and for you because he chose you in Jesus Christ. And you can be sure about this because even though our citizenship is not of this world, our citizenship is in heaven, yet God's power and his dominion is over this world. There's nothing in this world that's that's apart from his power, that's apart from his influence and his perfect care. There's nothing beyond his reach. And he's demonstrated that through every minute of history. He's shown it in the way that he's directed history at all times so that salvation would come in Jesus Christ. And for all of us, Just like every single day, today is a day of reaffirming this in our own hearts. What is our commitment to Christ? Are we ready to renew this commitment to being his disciple? This is something that we see quite often in in the history of the church, where God's people have a, a, a covenant renewal before him, where we re you know, profess our commitment to him, confess our sins and, and, and state that, that we belong to him and, and, and firmly and completely give ourselves to him. God has called us to a very specific life and he has been preparing us to bear the name of Christ well in this world to bear his name well. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while, he will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.